This is Lester Alfonso. You're listening to Soundproof on Trent Radio 92.7 FM CFFF in beautiful Peterborough, Ontario, Canada. Soundproof is creative non-fiction for audio with field recordings, personal journals, musical investigations, and more. Today's episode, Let the Children Boogie. Searching my mail. It's a true story. It's happening right now. I'm searching my mail and I'm putting in the search word Bowie. Bowie as in David Bowie. And I am looking for any time I mentioned him in my um in my 500 words before second breakfast. Um, messages, my Bowie story. What is my Bowie story? What is my Bowie story? So wait, there's another one here. Okay, let's see, November 3rd, 2017. So that would be two years ago. Um, I say this. Friday. Freak out. Need an office that I can run away to. Need to be alone and not have the influence of another person's thoughts. No exit. Hell is other people. I'm starting to freak out. Friday. I'm not doing what I'm doing Friday. Get out of my skin day. What to do today? question marks. I don't want the mess day. I want my place day. I don't want to be poor day. It's not okay to be broke, folks. Listen to me. I repeat my words over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Insane rant. Images on loop. They flicker alive like windows on a zoetrope. Perpetually spinning around the same story. Over and over and over again. I make time because of school. I'm school's fool. Happy graduation day. What an accomplishment. What did you learn? What did you do? Did you concentrate and focus? Did you find a strange new locus? What a day. What day. What month. What year. Still looking for the time. Still looking to make a dime. I can finish all the little jobs and leave the digital dust bunnies behind. Bunny bank account, Jack Rabbit savings. I would go mad if I could not write down my thoughts, my lost thoughts, my heart, my sweetheart and you, my dearest and you. Really, without you, I'm nothing. You focus. All aboard. Design mind destruction. Take a wrecking ball and have your way with it. Listen up, Bowie's children. He won't come down and greet us because he thinks he'll blow our minds. He told me, let the children boogie. 11 
11.35 p.m. The biological clock ticks. Rumble, tummy, rum-scented, rummy, apple sangria, formaldehyde, high on maraschinos. Come. thought that I would ever have had a relationship with Bob when I first met him because he was much older than me and he was um, he had white hair and balding and he was uh, you know had kids his his son was the same age as me he was wearing a Harley Davidson shirt uh, and he was wearing a pair of blue note black jeans leather boots and this black leather jacket. Love me, love me, say you do. He was uh, very fit and uh, very muscular and tanned, Irish looking. He had a uh, clean shaven and had a uh, attractive, tall, slender body with lots of like freckles and stuff, you know. He was very charismatic and compelling. He was a storyteller. And there was a lot of characters around him at the time, drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes and listening to music and live music too in the cafe while people were playing their video games on the different various computer machines. I had been sleeping on the couch a lot of the time at nighttime uh, to get away from my roommate because she had some company you know, from the commercial hotel and, and other bars that she would have company. And so in order for me to kind of get away, um, then I would uh, just go down to Naked Cyber Cafe and uh, talk to Bob and play Scrabble and drink coffee and go on the computers. And I would fall asleep on the couch. And so sometimes he would ask me to uh, go, f go with him for breakfast uh, when I woke up. And I guess that's how it all began. And he'd take me for Harley Davidson motorcycle rides uh, to go for breakfast. So I guess that right from the get-go impressed me. And flowers, he always got me fresh flowers. Yeah, different lilacs or, you know, roses was a big thing. So uh, he uh, would take me out to one of the restaurants on White Avenue that was my favorite at the time. And there would be a lot of like my favorite tunes on the jukebox and uh, I'd be smiling and you know, dressed up in my prettiest dress I would, that he would buy for me uh, from one of the, the dress stores on White Avenue and go out on the town. Bob and I were listening to the radio in the big truck. We were doing errands for the cafe I heard a song that I really enjoyed, and he told me that it was David Bowie, and I'd never heard of him before. And 
I remember him saying that he was coming to Edmonton and he was performing at the Windspear for a concert. And I got really excited at the possibility of seeing him because I'd only heard this one song or whatever on the radio, but it sounded really amazing. And Bob said that he would go and see if he could scalp tickets and get some cheap tickets for front row and try to see if we could, he could take me um, to go see David Bowie. And I was thrilled and said yes, and was very excited about the possibility of going. And then that day when we went, uh, he um, surprised me and scalped tickets and he uh, took me into the theater and we sat so close, right at the front really. It was very close to where David Bowie walked on the stage towards the audience, where he had some room to dance and room to, to move with the mic. And um, I guess I remember that he had like these amazing tight beautiful leather pants on and I was totally like amazed how young he looked he had short blonde hair and gorgeous stunning blue eyes and it just shone and from where I sat just a couple of yards away from him it seemed pretty real life to me I really felt like we bonded and like he was staring at me the whole time and I just danced and he was dancing and the music was playing and it was just like it was me and David Bowie and there's nobody else in the Windspear Theater at all. And I forgot about Bob. I think it's why he was so pissed off and why he was so jealous is because I, I didn't even remember that Bob was there. So I was just hanging out with David Bowie. Probably why I took off my shirt and wanted him to see my boobs because I was just totally in love with David Bowie and I wanted him to be in love with me too and get attention and have that experience and bond with him and and I uh, got really excited and like enthusiastic so I just kind of went bonkers like I was dancing up a storm until I was dizzy it was very psychedelic transformational healing rock and roll moment for me I really felt like David Bowie was looking at me the whole time because I was right there and everyone else was sitting down and they were in their 50s and 60s and they were kind of just, you know, humming along, but no one was standing, no one was really dancing or into it really, you know, except for me and maybe a couple of other people in the crowd at the Windspear Theater. I wasn't really encouraged to dance, um, but I rebelled and I just danced. Meanwhile though, I was a little disappointed that Bob was uh, grumpy. I guess he was jealous of David Bowie, so he actually, uh, was moody and he was his foot was stuck on gum and the whole time he just kind of was like this grumpy boyfriend he just got grumpier and i got grumpier and we kind of started fighting and like end up disagreeing and having different kinds of distractions and different kinds of experiences outside the relationship that weren't really helping to remedy the relationship. I got my own apartment and I started hanging out with my own friends and had my own lovers and my own experiences. And I guess he found out about that and wasn't very happy about it, even though he had his own lovers and his own experiences in his own house and his own world. But ultimately he just got really upset 
and that he, I wasn't living with him anymore and that uh, we weren't going anywhere and it was all a bunch of confusion and I ended up going our own ways. We actually broke up like 20 times. I used to break up with him all the time. I'd move to a new new city, or I'd uh, go for a trip, a vacation, uh, or move into another apartment, or I'd, um, you know, find another boyfriend. But somehow, some way, I would always come back from that city. A lot of time, because he came for me, he would come and get me. So he would take his Harley, or take his truck, take a plane. I think he even took a bus to come and get me and bring me back to Edmonton, Alberta to be with him again. He usually would bring jewelry and flowers and poetry and guitar. He was just learning how to play electric guitar, very psychedelic blues kind of riffs, rock and roll. And he would seduce me into going back with him. And it usually worked. But the last time that we broke up, it was awful. He tore up my apartment. I was very scared. I took off on the WestJet after getting my tax return. Ultimately, what I learned from that relationship with Bob was that monogamy um, as like an ideal, ideal of having two people having romantic love that was um, supposed to last forever and be some sort of committed marriage-like relationship wasn't something that I was, you know, really understanding and really wanted forever. You know, I, I look back on it now and think, wow, it would have been great had I known about, say, polyamory when I was 18 or during that time to be able to have a relationship that would have been more like the 60s, like more open and more talking and freely and being honest with each other. It would have really helped our intimacy and helped our negotiation of how we would spend our relationships with other people and with ourselves and understood more about, I learned a lot about myself and about how I um, didn't love myself as much or respect myself as much to be able to really um, value him and his time and his experiences because I wasn't valuing my own self and my experiences and my time. So I, I just learned a lot about that. And um, I don't know, it just really got me curious about polyamory as soon as we had broken up, about if there was a possibility that we could be in love with other people, like multiple people at the same time, and, uh, and have that romantic love and have sexual experiences with multiple people at the same time, and if that could be a workable solution rather than the secrecy and uh, the confusion that was created by um, being in a romantic relationship with one person where realistically there wasn't any time for that. You know, being with a workaholic, you know, I was pretty much solo with the dog most of the time. 
been hanging out with the grandchildren and the kids and stuff, you know, being that home mom. Hello, no one is available to take your call. Please leave a message after the tone. Hey man, it's JP. I'm actually sitting in the park by the dog bowl, just getting some, some fresh air. I was thinking that you were talking about Bowie that last time we were talking. And so I did, I did have an idea. I might as well tell you, you know, because at this point, you know, from movies I've read, I've watched and stories I've read recently, you know, I don't know if I could ever do anything with it. I think it falls under time war and time war is just, you know, it's pretty overdone. I'm sure you're familiar with the idea of, you know, different forces fighting to establish or change or correct timelines. I've seen a bit too much of it, but I have had this idea for a long time. I call it the rock and roll Terminator. So the idea basically is that the rock and roll history that you know is actually an altered timeline that these sort of historical landmarks, certain things like all these artists dying at the age of 27, that that is not what happened in the original timeline. And that this is something that was caused to happen um, in pursuit of a specific goal. So the idea is that in the original timeline, rock and roll fizzled, artists just aged, um, they kept going and you know degraded the quality and the legacy of what they had created when they were younger by continuing and just you know uh, reducing in quality so much. So the idea is that. There's an effort to try and save the future by igniting a spirit of rock and roll that will inspire rebellion for generations. And so an agent is sent back in time to alter things. And so this first agent is sent back and takes the identity of Elvis, this initial kind of rebel star of rock and roll. So we have Elvis initial initiating this sort of rock and roll revolution, but then Elvis in his espionage or undercover activity is directly involved in the death of multiple other music performers. So the Jim Morrison, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, the whole thing, the whole idea, conspiracy of them dying at 27 is caused by this agent and it does play into some of the conspiracies you know maybe you've heard the Jimi hendrix conspiracy about how you know people held him and forced him you know force fed him bottles of wine till he drowned on the wine things like that but essentially these musicians these artists are killed to preserve their legacies now what we have later in the 60s into the 70s elvis he loses track of the mission. He kind of sells out. He gets caught up in his own stardom. And he's, you know, he's not acting fully, I guess, according to mission parameters. So a second agent is sent back. And now this agent is David Bowie. Now, Bowie's activities mainly start taking place in the 80s. He has to establish himself first. So if you think about um, the Ozzy Osbourne, 
plane crash that killed Randy Rhodes. There's an example of an altered timeline. There's a failed attempt with the Metallica bus crash. Bowie tries to alter it, you know, wants to have uh, Cliff, wants Lars Ulrich to die um, to preserve Metallica. Um, fails, Cliff Burton dies, you know, which starts opening the door toward the decline in the end of Metallica. And then, of course, Bowie's um, his piece to resist on his, his main contribution, of course, then being the alleged suicide of Kurt Cobain at the age of 27, continuing the 27 conspiracy. So anyway, you know, this is sort of the, the real idea, you know, that, you know, if you think you could do something with it, I'd be happy to look at what we could develop. I think what should I, I should emphasize, I was thinking about it too, is that really compared to Elvis, Bowie uh, most of Bowie's efforts, or a significant amount of them, end up in failure. So I talked about the Metallica, Burton, uh, Ulrich mix-up. Similarly, you know, um, Bowie's attempts to, to kill Steven Tyler of Aerosmith in 1985, therefore establishing Aerosmith as one of the greatest rock and roll bands of all time, is a failure. So that really throughout the 80s, we have Bowie failing repeatedly. You know, maybe it's had something to do with the whole labyrinth thing as well but then redeeming himself with, of course, you know, um, the uh, Kurt Cobain, which is, you know, really reignite the 27, um, the 27 mythos. Now, I mean, is this could be connected. Does this go into hip hop as well? Is it someone else involved in hip hop? If we think about, you know, things like Biggie Smalls and, and Tupac, was there a similar idea there? I don't know if that is Bowie or not, but that is sort of the idea. Um, I would be see, you know, I would be interested to see, but as I said, there's a lot of time war going on in TV, movies, and uh, speculative fiction right now. But I am going out. Uh, I placed my uh, first order today for um, 15 pounds of ground beef, 12 pounds of sausage, 600 eggs, four cases of bacon, 10 pounds of breakfast sausage. So I think you're going to be uh, some hungry and well-fed campers. So I'm, uh, I am getting pretty excited. I've got all my gear uh, packed up. It's really just a question of which books am I going to bring. I've got the e-reader for most stuff, but I want to bring some Tantan or some, you know, some Spanish and French comic books for language practice. So it is, it's a new endeavor for me, as you know. It's a big deal, um, you know, giving up summer in Ontario, heading somewhere else to work. So I'm pretty excited and I will be keeping you updated, and we'll see what kind of ideas flow when I'm out there in the bush or in the middle of a clear cut. We'll see what it's like. Well, I'm uh, hanging out while the planters are out planting trees all day. So um, I will look forward to hearing back from you and uh, hearing your feedback on the Bowie synopsis. So you take care, and uh, we'll talk soon. Rock on, man. He writes me, January 11th, 2016. Bowie is dead. The Facebook newsfeed is completely flooded with reactions, updates, related items, trending. I hear about it like I heard about Robin Williams' suicide through a text message from Lance. I wake up to a text, Lance? Unusual. It says, DB, holy fuck. Just waking up, 
I'm having trouble with figuring out the initials. I immediately check Facebook. Before the newsfeed even started to load, I know what the initials mean. I'm so struck by this that I started to sob and weep. It's a little while before I stumble into the bathroom. From the bathroom window, I see that there is an intense snow blizzard happening outside. The snow makes the world a little quieter. He writes me. I just want to hole up inside of my apartment today. I hope that the power does not cut out. I can edit or write, Netflix. First, I'll have to get some supplies, get my boots out of the closet. David Bowie has been such an inspiration to me. Live life like Bowie. He writes me. Soundproof is produced and edited by Lester Alfonso with help from co-producer Carly Von Spronson and audio engineer Michael Phillips. Let the Children Boogie includes contributions from Angel Hamilton, Jay Plo, and myself, Lester Alfonso. Check out www.soundsgoodmikey.com for all your recording studio needs. Thanks to Alex and all the staff and volunteers at Trent Radio 92.7 FM CFFF in beautiful Peterborough, Ontario, Canada. Follow the podcast on iTunes. And for more information, just go to lesteralfonso.com slash soundproof. Thanks for listening.